Chris, welcome to episode 202 of X-Lapsed, where uh, we're uh, coming down to the wire again, because this might just be the last episode for a little while, depending on whether or not uh, my DCBS order gets here uh, today, <laughs> or uh, or tomorrow. I might be able to squeeze something in if it comes tomorrow. That's kind of the thing with the uh, DCBS shipments. You just never know what's going to happen here. I don't know if they ship them at a different, like, class or something, but uh, I've never had such uh, bipolar results uh, having something shipped to me as uh, through DCBS here. I think I've said this uh, the last time we were uh, coming up on a break. There are times where I'll literally get the uh, package two days after the books come out. So, like, they'll ship them on a Wednesday, I'll get them on a Friday. And then there are times where it'll take two weeks. And uh, this time out, it looked like everything was going to work out fine here. The original scheduled um, drop-off was uh, a few days ago. But uh, halfway through that day, it changed from, uh, you know, out for delivery to pending. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. So if, uh, if, the, if the books come, we'll cover them. If not, we'll pop into the uh, essentials uh, for a little while. But let's get into today's book here. This is Marauders number 20. It's had a July 2021 cover date. The story is called Wind Riders. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. Colors Edgar Delgado and Chris Sotomayor. Letters VCs Corey Petit designs Tom Muller, head of Exus Hickman. Edits Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price $3.99. Went on sale May 5th of 2021. That was the day I got my, uh, my second uh, COVID shot. That was the day I became uh, inoculated. But uh, I still wear my mask out. I actually accidentally went into a store yesterday without the mask, and it felt so weird. <laughs> it really felt weird, and it was one of those situations where, like, I'm usually, at this point, one of the, like, 5% that actually still wears the mask in stores. And this time, when I forgot my mask in the car, I was, like, the only person there without one. So I felt like a a real weirdo. But, uh, eh, let's get into the book here. Now we open with an info page, and uh, Emma Frost gives Kitty a brooch to wear at the Hellfire Gala, and uh, part of the makeup of this brooch is a bullet, because we must never, ever forget that the delicate genius Joss Whedon took 600 years to tell about three issues worth of story, which ended with Kitty Pride phased into a giant bullet. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters are Storm, Callisto, Iceman, Bishop, Call Me Kate, Pyro, Emma Frost, and Sebastian Shaw. We open on board the Mercury, where we'll be spending pretty much this entire issue. Now, it's taken the form of a traditional pirate ship right now, and the water is quite choppy, uh, much to Emma Frost and her stomach's chagrin. 
Now, you know how we've been getting hints that Storm is leaving the team for, like, I don't know, ever at this point? It feels like ever since uh, Exa 10's ended, it's all about, you know, Storm's leaving eventually. Maybe. I don't know. Well, this is finally her official farewell dinner. So this is going to be a celebration of Storm. Uh, Stories are going to be shared, things will be remembered... Though I hope nobody is looking for any actual deep cuts into Storm's greatest hits or relationships with some of these crewmates here, uh, they're gonna mostly stick to the post-Hoxpox era for all of their reminiscing. We do get one story from back in the long ago, but we'll get there when we get there. Now, it's worth noting, well, that's probably not worth noting, but uh, we only get two panels into the story before the Hellfire Gala gets a mention. So, uh... When the Hellfire Gala's going on, we all gotta be talking about it, and when it's not, we all gotta be asking about it. It's kinda what happens with the Hellfire Gala. Now, Pyro expresses surprise that Storm is the first one to ditch the Marauders. He had, uh, he had assumed it would be him. And it turns out he and Storm had something of an official wager on this uh, deal here, and so he hands over his marker. And she hopes she'll never have to call it in. And uh, we've heard a little bit about markers. I think uh, Cable has a Wolverine marker from that fight in the quarry, so... I don't know exactly. I'm guessing they're just for favors, you know. Pyro then pretends he's on an episode of The Golden Girls where they're all sitting around the kitchen table eating cheesecake in between flashbacks that uh, may or may not have actually happened. He shares a story about Storm being one of the hardest mutants he's ever rolled with. So, picture it. A ship-breaking yard in India. Storm has found out that there's a a young mutant girl being exploited there to tear down ships. And this is under the threat of having her family murdered. So, you know, rocking a hard place. Storm, as you might imagine, is not okay with this. She questions a foreman who isn't all that forthcoming until Storm hurls a throwing knife through his clipboard. Now, the throwing knife thing will inform way too much of the rest of this issue, by the way. The foreman leads Storm to this young mutant, who they call Lash. Now, she has the ability to manifest, like, electrified whips or something, uh... Kind of like Senyaka from the Acolytes, maybe? Or maybe not. It's, you know, more uh, energy-based. Doesn't look like there's any kind of physical uh, element to this. Now, Storm heads over to the girl, actually catches the electrified whip with her bare hands, and then tells Lash that she's now free. Also, that her family has been rescued. Pyro expresses a whole lot of awe that Storm was able to successfully complete this mission with only one throwing knife. Bishop happens to think it was a little bit more impressive that she grabbed Lash's lightning whip. Call Me Kate mentions that Storm likely had a lot of blades hidden on her that day. And Christian Frost suggests that uh, maybe they ought to bet on how many she's carrying right now. Pyro enforces the Price is Right rules, which is, you know, closest without going over, and then posits that Storm has three blades. And Storm laughs. Now, as Emma complains about the motion of the ocean, it's Bishop's turn to tell his Storm story. So, uh, picture it. Angola. Wait a sec, Storm interrupts. She's never been to Angola with Bishop. Well, that don't much matter. Bishop recounts a time where he used some pretty bad weather to his advantage by suggesting to some baddies that Storm was responsible for it. So, rather than deal with the weather goddess, the bad guys do everything Bishop demands, including giving back magic meds and releasing some mutant hostages. Bishop wraps up his time with the talking stick by guessing that Storm is carrying seven blades. It's Iceman's turn next, and uh, he makes what has to be a meta-reference. He suggests that Storm is carrying X-blades, as in ten, you dig? I mean, we've, we've talked about that before. 
Bobby's story takes place after the death of Call Me Kate. I believe that was Marauder's number six or so. Now, he and Storm had paid a visit to the hate manga and through force and violence convinced him to change his ways. I, I think that's what's going on here. Uh, that's what we see anyway. Uh, the story that Bobby shares in the narration boxes sounds far more peaceful and diplomatic than all that. Next, Callisto lifts her glass and recalls Storm doing her the favor in the Crucible just a few issues back. And uh, she refuses to guess how many blades Storm is carrying, and then excuses herself to go to bed. Next, it's Emma's turn. Now, she shares a story about a time she'd swapped minds with Storm, and uh, this actually is kind of a deep cut from relatively early in Emma's uh, you know, history with the, uh, in comics. Uh, she was probably only around a couple of years into the books at this point, and she recalls that Storm will always try to help you, no matter what. She then states that it doesn't matter how many knives Storm has, because it's clear she needs none of them. Then, it's off to bed for Emma, or at least that's what she tells the gang. It's Call Me Kate's turn, and, uh, yes, um, at this point in the reading, I was hoping against hope that this wasn't going to be yet another reference to Kitty being scared of Storm's mohawk. Thankfully, it was not. It's actually a callback to, uh, well, something even less impressive. Um, Marauders number one, where Kitty smashed her face on a Krakoan gateway trying to pass through. Storm popped no- Kitty's nose back into joint here. Uh, I'm not sure why that was her big Storm memory, considering how much history they share, but I guess at least it wasn't the haircut again. Um, then, it's time for Storm to show off just how many knives she's carrying, and there are eight of them. And I guess Bishop wins the bet? Hooray for Bishop. Well, actually, it doesn't look like anybody wins, because the Marauders are all but certain that Storm hasn't shown them all of her blades. Now, let's head topside, where we see Lockheed steering the Mercury as Emma Frost arrives to get a bit of air. Sebastian Shaw is here, probably because no one wanted him at the dinner party, which kind of begs the question of, you know, why is he on board in the first place? Now, he and Emma talk about a woman who Shaw had lost— a woman by the name of Lourdes Chantel, um, who I actually had to do a little bit of web sleuthing on to recall. Uh, she was in a backup story that appeared in Classic X-Men number 7. Now, this is a story that took place at a Hellfire Gala of sorts, and I'm guessing that this will be the story we're getting a reprint of in the next issue of Marauders here. We talked about that during the solicits, how it's a... Uh, uh, five-buck issue, and it has a uh, blurb that refers to the current Hellfire Gala as the first ever, but then says there's going to be a flashback to the earlier Hellfire Gala. It was, I, I guess it was kind of confusing. Um, anyway, she was a mutant who died before Cerebro was there to get a backup, so she's evidently dead-dead. Uh, considering that classic X-Men number 7 also reprints X-Men number 99... We might assume that anyone who died during the first 100 or so issues of X-Men, literally or retconned to be, um, we gotta assume that they can't be resurrected, right? Um, that doesn't explain the, uh, the Deadly Genesis girls who died on Krakoa, but I don't know, I don't know. Uh, Emma seems oddly sympathetic to Shaw here. It's uh, very strange considering they're, you know... Well, they have a weird recent history, but they also have a weird, you know, long-term history here. So I guess feelings might get a little bit uh, iffy between them here. They do have a history. Now we wrap up with the Mercury sailing towards the sentinel-headed Faroe Island. So I take that to mean the gala is happening there and not on Krakoa? 
Um, another thing about the solicits, they've been very confusing here. Some of them say it's Krakoa. And actually, I think they've all said it's Krakoa. I don't know that any of them have actually name-dropped the uh, Mykonos or Mykonos uh, in the Faroe Islands, but that's where we leave the story. We are on the precipice of the Hellfire Gala, at least in this book anyway. Uh, we do get an info page to close us out, and this introduces the concept of the Children of the Marauders, and this is basically encapsulates everyone rescued by the Marauders. And uh, I hope that in the next couple of weeks we don't get uh, an announcement that there will be a Children of the Marauders uh, miniseries. Because, frankly, it wouldn't surprise me, but I really don't want to see it. But that's where we leave it. Uh, next episode should be the Curse of the Man-Thing story, uh, where Magic puts together her uh, Dark Riders or whoever. Uh, I'm not sure I'm necessarily looking forward to it, but uh, as always, we will endeavor to do our very best. But for now, let's talk about... Um, I don't want to say this is a disappointing issue, um, because it was, it was a decent issue. Um, definitely felt... Uh, you know, Reggie and I would talk a lot about um, how creators want to skip ahead of all the foundational work, you know. And uh, I remember we were doing the young animal things, and I'm, you know, dropping the young animal thing here again. Those books ran for less than a year. Then they went into this big crossover event called The Milk Wars, and then they rebooted. And the rebooting had to do with, like, remaking the world in a way, and... Uh, one of our, uh, you know, most prolific complaints or observations about that was like, this wasn't earned. You know, this was not earned. <laughs> this doesn't have the gravity that I think DC would like us to think that it does. So here we have this issue of Marauders here, which is basically celebrating Storm's time as a Marauder. And, le- I mean, let's let's do some real talk here. Does anybody remember Storm doing anything uh, during her time with the Marauders? Um, I feel like one of the common complaints we've had about this book is the fact that Storm is technically a part of the cast and doesn't do anything. I mean, we've been complaining about uh, Storm's treatment in the uh, in the X-Books since we left Hoxpox, right? She's such a prominent uh, member of the, of, of the X-Family here and has been a background character for the most part. Uh, of course, we did have the giant-sized thing with, uh, you know, the Children of the Vault you know, giving her that virus, but really, what else has she done? She did that thing with the Shi'ar, where she got a marker from uh, from Xandra, but what else? This just feels to me like the book is going out of its way to be like, hey, hey, Storm was a part of this cast. Hey, we're going to miss her. Storm is a part of this cast. But we have two years of this book that tells a different tale, or just doesn't tell a tale at all. It feels unearned. It feels like we any melancholy sort of feelings we get from this were artificial, manufactured. We're not reflecting back on things that have actually happened. We're not brushing up against anything that actually happened. These are all implanted uh, bits of importance, which I know one of the common things we say about this uh, this era is, you know, show, don't tell. And while this did show... It was mostly a telling, right? I mean, we're not going back and remembering the good times. This is just like, hey, these were the good times. Pay attention so you can miss Storm when she's gone. So yeah, not uh, not my favorite issue of Marauders, that's for sure here. And of course we have the, uh, you know, the pall of the Hellfire Gala looming <laughs> ever so prominently here, which 
Again, I'm, I'm just kind of burnt out on already. It feels like the more they try to convince us that it's a big deal, the more I question whether or not it is. And I mean, that's probably a Chris problem, but, you know, it's a... Uh, if you've ever worked for someone who has to remind you, like, every five minutes that they're the boss, then are they really? You know? If you gotta, like, keep projecting and presenting things in a certain way, it, it kind of tells the tale that it's maybe not quite as uh, important as we're trying to make it seem here. I don't know. This is, again, this is just Chris stuff. I'm probably projecting. It's just, uh, it's kind of grating is all. Uh, I feel like these little, this brief run we've had between, uh, the Exoswords and Hellfire Gala was definitely not the sweet spot of what a story to, to like let a, a, a whole arc kind of breathe. I don't know. I mean, we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about the Hellfire Gala, so I will do my best not to harp on it uh, for the next uh, handful of episodes that we do that aren't Hellfire Gala related. So, what else we got here? What else do we got here? Um, not much. Really, not much. Uh, the Guessing how many knives Storm has thing, I, I, I guess if you have to wrap an issue around a, you know, a thread there, I guess it's okay. Um, I feel like they kind of leaned into it a bit too far, and it kind of overstayed its welcome a little bit. I mean, rather than spend probably a combined three or four pages, you know, uh, joshing around about the knives here, why not have Storm tell a story, you know, about what being a marauder meant to her? Because I don't know that we know. <laughs> like, what we know about Storm's time as a marauder is that it started with her saying she didn't want to answer to Emma Frost. And now they're friends. And it's, I don't know, it just all feels very artificial. So it's hard for me to really see this as anything as poignant as I think it's supposed to be. I will admit that I'm a bit interested on Shaw's uh, missing lady, uh, Lourdes Chantel. Uh, I've got to dig out that issue of... Uh, actually, I don't have to dig out that issue of Classic X-Men because... We're going to be getting that reprinted in the next issue of Marauders anyway, so uh, we'll all have it at hand, and uh, yeah, we will cover that here on the show as well to uh, fill in any blanks and to make any sort of observations that might uh, inform what happens during the gala, because I'm guessing that, I'm guessing they didn't drop her name for no reason, so she might be back uh, somehow. Um, they, I mean, they went out of their way to mention that she had perished before Cerebro started doing backups, which feels like an overcomplication of the situation, especially if, I mean, I'm like 80% sure she's going to be back. So how do you write yourself out of that? Um, it could have just been like, hey, her uh, data was corrupted or, or whatever, because now we're starting to question other things here, like Petra and Sway dying on Krakoa. They're back now, right? I mean, they, they're back. They were resurrected uh, Cerebro wasn't backing things up at giant size, right? I don't know. Maybe these are just questions that, uh, we're not supposed to be asking, right? <laughs> because, uh, nobody's supposed to care quite this much about, uh, timelines in comics, but it's kind of what we do here. So, uh, what is that? What do the kids say? Sorry, not sorry? Is that what the kids say? So, yeah, one of those, I guess. Uh, the art continues to be very, very strong on this book. It's uh, it's it's wonderful to look at here. Um, worth noting, the cover is very, very nice as well. Here, it's uh, you got Storm looking on the horizon here, and you have a picture of a uh, you know Kitty in her Shadow Cat uniform, Mo uh, Mohawked Storm, and Nightcrawler over the horizon. Just uh, really shows us that Storm is uh, you know, reminiscing, thinking about the past. Uh, I was hoping that Nightcrawler was going to be here. 
I think that that could have been a nice little scene here, especially considering how he has like a standing offer to head out on, you know, with the Marauders. Uh, him and Kitty were talking about having a little team up somewhere down the line. This would have been a nice spot for that. Oh, well, I think that's all I've got to say about this issue here. But before we go, we do have a couple of pieces of mail to get to. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Excalibur number 18. He says, I'm finding it harder and harder to read Excalibur. Preach on. Uh, The continual refusal to start a story at the beginning is starting to get really tiresome. I find it really astonishing that Marcus Toe is able to produce such beautiful artwork from such a weak storyline. Everything seems to come out of nowhere. Have we ever really seen Richter becoming interested in magic? I know it's run throughout the series, but it doesn't feel organic. I'm impressed that you remembered that weirdo Jamie Braddock was holding Morgan Le Fay captive. I was just wondering why he had Celine. And yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, they do look uh, you know, astonishingly similar here. Um, yeah, Excalibur's a toughie. Uh, it's never been an easy read, but of late... I don't know if it's just the whole familiarity breeding contempt sort of thing, or maybe maybe I'm holding a grudge against it because we're losing books like Cable and X-Factor, but somehow we're still getting Excalibur, and there's still going to be another world. Uh, it's just not a book I look forward to. And when I see it on the horizon, uh, you know, coming up for an episode, it's... It, I don't want to say I get a pit in my stomach. It's not quite that bad. But um, I would much rather be talking about... Just about every any other book that we cover on this show, uh, minus X Corp, which we will be doing shortly after my shipment arrives, for better or for worse. But yeah, I mean, we could take everything I just said about uh, this issue of Marauders feeling unearned, and we could pretty much lay that at the at the foot of pretty much every issue of Excalibur. Um, we're expected to take these big changes in character here, like like you mentioned, Richter being a druid who is just uh, wild about magic. Uh, not the character, of course, the uh, the concept, <laughs> mysticism, you know. It, it just feels inorganic. It feels like something that uh, they wanted to happen in the book, and rather than actually putting the work into having him express interest, it's just like he goes from zero to 60. It's like, here's this mutant kid, and suddenly here's this magician. I don't know. Uh, Damien continues, and next it's Quanon versus Betsy yet again. It doesn't matter how well Rogue is written, and she is, it can't make up for all the tosh. Yeah, and I believe you're going to be heading into the uh, the Jackdaw issue here, which popped me as a fairly uh, deep-cut reference until you realize that all it was was uh, wallpaper, right? Uh, it didn't matter that the Jackdaws were there. It was just a, hey, reference, you know? Um doesn't matter where they are. They could have been in a parking lot. They could have been in a hole in the ground. They could have been fighting on the astral plane. It really didn't matter. You know, it's just this is the uh, this is the screen you picked on your you know Street Fighter Two um, level selector. It's like Jackdaw Village. There you go. Uh, Damien wraps up with until Marvel discovers that previous Excaliburs featured stories that weren't set in Otherworld. Make my next lapsed. Well, if I were a betting man, and as you all know, I am not, uh, I'm not sure I would bet a single dime on whether or not anybody at Marvel has read any of the old Excalibur stuff. I, something tells me that, uh, that they haven't. So they might think it's all otherworld and, uh, and crazy magic stuff. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Next up, we got Evan talking about New Mutants number 16. And it's another Otherworld issue. 
Now, uh, Evan says, I'm not saying you should like the Otherworld excursion, but I didn't mind it. For better or for worse, it's part of the new X landscape, and it made sense for the kids to go there on a dare, and for Danny and Karma to try to clean up the mess. It makes more sense to me than Excalibur going there constantly because, hey. And you're right. You're right. I think a lot of my knee-jerk reaction to the otherworldliness of New Mutants was more informed by the fact that uh, I'm tired of it, you know? Um, Had we not done Otherworld every single month for the past 20 months in Excalibur, this might have been a little bit uh, received a little bit differently by me here. I, I wouldn't have had the Otherworld fatigue that I do. It's like that old saying, like, how can I miss you if you never leave? Now, that's not to say that I'll ever, like, be chomping at the bit for an Otherworld story, but, I mean, maybe if it wasn't every single month, a little excursion like this that lets uh, Rod Reese just flex his muscles playing with this weird otherworldly landscape and just having a blast with the art, I think it would have been better, you know? I think it would have been received better by me and perhaps from other people as well. It's just too much. Way, way, way too much. Evan continues... As for Warpath being relegated to an info page, well, at least he wasn't left out entirely. Your point is well taken. Um, I just I just don't like those info pages. Uh, I mean, I don't like info pages in general, but these writing prompts one for uh, Warpath are... Uh, they're rough. <laughs> they're not great. He answers things like way too literally. It's... I don't know what it's, what it's adding. You know, uh, I don't know that we're going to get a huge Warpath story that's going to be like, hey, you remember that writing prompt he had in issue 15? I just don't know. Evan continues, I get where you're coming from with the mention of the X-Men, but without going back to that info page in the latter part of the Festival of Swords, which is now on autocomplete on my phone, I love it, I believe it said people had started using X-Men and mutants almost interchangeably. Maybe. Perhaps for the youngsters who may not understand the reasoning for not having an official X-Men team, they just keep using the team. Maybe the compromise could have been Danny going, Hey, there are no X-Men these days, remember? But I don't think it was necessarily a major inconsistency. And you're right. You're right. I just feel like um, the fact that they drew such a firm line under it in during the Festival of Swords... I expect consistency from the editors. Not so much the characters in the book. I mean, the characters in the book can only do what they do. But, like, editorial should be... Because, I mean, we have this new volume of X-Men coming out that's supposed to be this huge deal because we've never had X-Men before, and that's the whole point, is now we have an X-Men team. But they're being called X-Men all the time. They're all wearing X-belts. They're all wearing X-Men attire. Everybody calls them the X-Men. And what makes the new volume special then? Are the X-Men going to be like, hey, we're the X-Men? They'll be like, well, yeah, you were here yesterday, too. It's like, no, 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 we haven't been here in years. Like, no, no, I saw you the other day. You're wearing an X-Belt. You're fighting bad guys. You're X-Men. I feel like it should have been more, uh, you know, more in or out, right? It's another case of how can we miss you if you never leave, right? (laughs) Just going back to the other thing there. If nobody realized the X-Men weren't a thing then they can't miss the fact that the X-Men were a thing, and they can't appreciate the X-Men when they come back. I don't know, I feel like there are just other ways they could have done all this. They could have made the, their point and, uh, and kept it to where it's going to be important that the X-Men are back. It's going to be a seminal event, right, where things are going to change. We have this new team. We haven't had a team for a while. Let's you know hit the ground running, and we can appreciate what we have now. 
we have people who literally go by the name X-Men instead of Krakoan or Mutant, Mutant, Mutant. But thank you so, so much for writing in, Evan. I really, really appreciate it. Now, if anyone out there would like to write in, I would uh, hope you do so. Uh, you can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline thing at uh, 623-396-JERK. Now, as for the social media stuff... Um, I'm not quite as active on there, so if you'd like to get a hold of me, please tag me or send me a direct message. Either way, I'll find you. I'm just trying to stay off the front page right now because as we're becoming more and more X-relevant here on the show, um, I'm running into spoilers. A lot of spoilers. Uh, People are... they can't wait (laughs) to spoil this stuff. And... um, before, when I was really far behind, uh, you know, things would happen and I wouldn't really know the context for them. But here, I mean, we are basically no longer X-lapsed, right? We are caught up. Uh, if I was getting my books every week at the shop, we would be caught up every single week, you know? Um, so it's harder for me to avoid spoilers now, especially we have a big event going with the Hellfire Gala. Every time I open up a social media app, I'm seeing full-page spoilers from uh, from the gala, and I really just don't want to ruin it. You know, I've mentioned it before. I come from uh, the you know the old internet, not like Web 1.0, but like Web 0.5, <laughs> when we were on the Usenet BBS boards and stuff. And yes, I, I just you know mentioned Usenet again, so uh, you can all gather around uh, the old man's uh, rocking chair as I regale you with stories of the ancient prehistoric internet. But uh, back then, um, it felt like uh, there was this unspoken rule where you didn't spoil things, you know? Uh, it was never a rule in the, in the groups. It was just something that people did out of courtesy, you know? Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the Usenetters and the BBSers were uh, academics, you know? A lot of their emails ended in EDU, and a lot of their, a lot of their you know, t- trackbacks went to uh, a university, Right. So I think it was understood that not all of the people involved in the conversation were going to be able to get the books, like, the day they come out. So every post there was kind of marked um, safe or not safe, right? It's either we're going to talk in depth with spoilers, so if you've read them, pop on in, you're fine. If you haven't read them and you don't want to be spoiled, then maybe don't read this one just yet. It was always very, very clear and explicit that you're not going to be spoiled on Usenet. That, unfortunately, isn't a thing anymore. Uh, we don't get little spoiler tags. Or, or we'll get a spoilery picture on, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. And then, like, the first line of the, of the text will say, spoiler alert. And it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. I just saw the picture. I, I, you spoiled me already. I just don't understand what the rush is to break news on social media now. Um, I would never consider myself, you know, an X-Men news source. Though I do know that there are a few people who listen to the show who consider it that um, because they've told me so. But I would never consider myself to be like an official news source or someone who's going to break news, right? And despite the fact that, you know, I do put out, you know, very regular X-Men related content here. At the end of the day, I'm just a fan, you know, I'm just a fan. I'm just a reader. I'm just a, uh, a consumer of these X-Men books here. And I would like to... I would like to receive them the same way everyone else does. You know, I'd like to be surprised by things. I don't want to find out what Magneto does at the Hellfire Gala, so I know I can't be on social media, you know? 
I don't want to know who shows up at the gala, just even the most benign guests. I don't want to know any of that. I want that to be something that I open the book and be like, ah, there's Captain America, or ah, there's whoever. That's kind of how I want to play it. So all that to say, (laughs) if you would like to get a hold of me on social media, tag me or send me a direct message. And uh, I'm usually quite receptive and sociable that way. now, where were we? Uh, for our blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. That's 90s X-Men on Facebook, and uh, we're keeping that spoiler-free as well. So, And we're actually keeping that, like, double spoiler-free because a lot of our friends over there are on Marvel Unlimited. So they're waiting a few months before getting to some of these books as well. So we do our best to make sure we're not spoiling their reading experience there. So that, again, is 90s X-Men on Facebook. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available everywhere the internet aggregates noise and sound. And while you're there, if you enjoy what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two, all that happy stuff. It would really, really mean a lot to me, and it would really, really help the show. But that's where we're going to leave it for today. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for sharing some of your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh